Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the film scene. Uh, this is nothing. We're only we're at the halfway mark. I the movie Alive lasted four months. That was four months. That's a great point. It was four. Living on a mountain, and there was no cell phones. We didn't make cell phone. There was no cell phones yet. So we're too deep. We got two more. Is that what you're saying? Two to go? Yeah, this is nothing. I don't. I know people. Everybody's freaking out. But it was like, you know, what happened to all the enthusiasm we had? We're gonna write the great book and the great, you know, do a great painting. So everyone needs to chillax, as they say. Everyone needs to calm down. But we're here, and we're we're excited. <laughs> Uh, Jeff is busy on the, the you know, with uh, helping out uh, Maria Menounos, right, with another guest. That's right. That? So he's so he may pop in later, but uh, today we have Ryan. Ryan, you've been on, you've co-hosted with me before. Yes, it is a pleasure as always, senior producer of Popcorn Talk. We might get that cameo from Jeff later, but we'll have to see. Who needs him, Ryan? Who needs him? <laughs> yeah, uh, forget him. him. He's He's adios. So um, we're going to take some questions. Before we do, a couple things. I wanted to uh, acknowledge the um, passing of a credible actress who we had on the podcast named Shirley Knight. She was really great. Um, she had been nominated for an Academy Award at, for a film called Dark at the Top of the Stairs, but she chose to go back to New York and, and work on... Um, theater. If anyone wants to see her in one of my favorite film performances, it is uh, Francis Ford Coppola's movie, The Rain People with mm. James Bond. And she is absolutely incredible in that film. Uh, but if people want to go to our archives, because she didn't give a lot of interviews, uh, she gave a very, very in-depth uh, interview about her days back working in New York with the Actors Studio and uh, all sorts of great films that she worked on so Shirley Knight the other thing that I wanted that's very topical I, I normally don't do topical stuff right. but this freaked me out um apparently the Nordic countries I was reading in Variety the Nordic country Sweden they're going back to I worked in Sweden uh yes. they're going back to work with extreme restrictions on going back to work Oof. so I don't know how to feel about this. Uh, the article goes in detail what they are allowed and not allowed to do, and, and this the, the depths they're going to. But so, it just seems a little no early. number one, no which is what I said a month ago. People were making fun of me. No kissing, no, <laughs> no sex kissing. scenes, no crowd scenes. Meaning there's going to be no extras. You know, you, you. I was thinking of Goliath. You know, I when I shot Goliath, where were you know the whole set was a casino. So. Right. It, that would be so the writers will have to go through the script and th there can only be you know 10 people in the scene yeah so isn't it's, that going to be sort of strange i think it's gonna be you know? really odd I, I, if we're gonna get a bunch of films that just have these restrictions on them and it, so i feel like we're gonna get a lot of similar types of settings uh, a lot more quieter stories that are focused on just yeah. like one or two, two characters people. two people in a room it's it's unusual. I mean, can you think of a blockbuster that has no crowd scenes? 
I just think, can't there be a better way? Can't they filter the air or do do something? I don't know. So there's so there's that. Then the other thing that's even more precarious, two things that really caught my eye. Uh, if you were 70 and over, you, you can't work. Right. They have an age so, limit now. Is that going to be an issue where they're going to say, oh, gee, I'm sorry. Uh, you're you're in the risk zone, and then you could have maybe risk a lawsuit. Somebody could somebody could sue you for discrimination. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot I think going into this story. On the one hand, is it too early for them to even be doing this again? Uh, yes. You know, filmmakers are just we're so rigorous, and we'll go from the ground to get anything made, whether it's like with no money at all or you're borrowing money. But uh, with these limitations, you know, it's only in our nature to try and make things. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, is it safe enough to even be, to continue the filmmaking? And then second, like you have these restrictions on them. Are these temporary or is this going to be permanent moving forward? It seems a little early. The other thing that caught my eye, which again, I had mentioned this months ago, they're only allowing a crew of 50 people. So which 50 people get chosen it's such a good question that what came to my mind is you know disney plus they just had the mandalorian come out and they're releasing a whole docuseries on the making of it and you just see in the background hundreds of people working on the film not even extras hundreds of just set designers workers lighters gaffers you got 50 people on a big feature film it really is now a bare bones crew yeah you're doing an indie feature you know um so there's a lot of issues with that so that kind of got caught my eye i mean you know that they're the canary in the coal mine what's going to happen here um okay let's ask let's answer some questions i got some great questions here a ton from twitter guys by the way you can follow iliana at iliana rama on twitter and also popcorn talk right. at the popcorn talk and also on uh, instagram so a couple here, uh, your favorite film role, definitely Grace of My Heart, I would have to say, uh, with director Allison Anders' musical. All I think of now, Ryan, is like, oh, filled with crowds. <laughs> a, movie, a movie you couldn't see, do anymore because it's filled with crowds. Remember when there were crowds uh, in movies. Yeah. But I loved uh, Grace of My Heart. I also love uh, To Die For, another incredible movie. A movie of mine I really love called Search and Destroy. It seems to be a lost movie. I don't know where it is or how you can find it. I think you can buy a DVD of it, but. That's kind of a lost film of mine. I really love. That was A One Collect asking that on Twitter. One Collect. Uh, this is somebody. This is uh, Peter Di Lorenzo asking me. Were you aware that To Die For was going to be uh, a great uh, film? Yes, I, I mean I was because it was based on the book by Joyce Maynard. So I read the book and uh, w- very much wanted to be um, a part of it. And uh, somebody's actually doing uh, their story that's going to be coming out about the history of Today For. Oh, wow. So I participated in that. So a lot of, I gave them a lot of inside uh, deep cuts, as I like to call them. Interesting. I can't wait to see so it. This is, this is unusual, but I actually have an answer. <laughs> at Protect. Uh, protect protect the, the protect the NHS uh, asking what is your favorite cheese not American cheese which is an abomination in parentheses which I don't feel the same Mick protect but uh, Ileana what is your favorite cheese 
my favorite cheese is Munster cheese. It's it's like the forgotten cheese. It's got a funny name. I don't know why it's called Munster, like the Munsters. But Munster, uh, yeah. I, I believe that Munster cheese makes the best uh, grilled uh, cheese. And there was a, uh, I did a, a short comedy film, you know, back when the internet was starting. Oh, yeah. Places would, uh, they'd give you money and you'd make little short films. And believe it or not, I, I think it was a mattress company or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. They gave us money to do, we shot in the show in a, in a hotel. And I made a little, uh, I did a little short movie and I had, I put that joke in there about Munster cheese being the forgotten cheese. Forgot. So that is- um, Munster. This, yeah, pity the, you'll see, you gotta try it. Pity the backseat asks, who would you like to work with in the future? Uh, and who would you have loved to have worked with in the past? Oh my God. Well, in the, starting in the past, uh, Billy Wilder, mm -hmm. I guess I would say. I would have loved to have worked with my grandfather. That would have been, you know, Aww. pretty incredible. Uh, I, I think that, but any, you know, working with Billy Wilder, I would have, I, I just any doing a comedy with Billy Wilder seems like that would have been pretty incredible. Jack Lemmon, I would have loved to have worked with my God. He was incredible. And for right now, um, probably for me, if I, you know, Alexander Payne is my favorite director. I'd, I've said this many times. I'd love to be in an Alexander Payne movie. Wow. Um, you share that I with Jeff. Jeff. That's also Jeff's favorite. And um, I also, well, I love Albert Brooks. I've, I've always loved Albert Brooks. I'd love to interview him sometime. I've, we've met a couple times and uh, I just think he's a genius. So I would, I'd love to, you know, he'd be somebody I would absolutely uh, love to work with. Okay, if you had, this is Mick, he's already, you already asked me a question if, if you, but he had, so I'm gonna skip the second one. Uh, has the name Ileana ever annoyed you? Uh, no, not really. People, you know, when I'm on a movie set, people call me ID. I find that to be, um, you know, to be uh, sort of entry, you know, a, a little bit of a, a good nickname. Uh, questions. <laughs> my God, Mick, get a life here. Like Jesus. seven questions here. <laughs> what is your, is this, oh, this is a great one from Mick though. Uh, your favorite, right. the favorite country you've worked in. Oh, Sweden. We were just mentioning Sweden. There you go. Uh, Sweden was one of the great uh, places. I worked in Italy. That was a little chaotic. Um, but working in Sweden, oh, my God, with uh, Lena Olin, we did the show, which is called Welcome to Sweden, which I believe is on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on Prime. Right. But uh, I, I love people in sweden have such a great philosophy except when it comes to making <laughs> their new time <laughs> except for their new covid restrictions but uh i loved working in sweden wonderful um I think and, we got one from adam ellis uh asking yeah. has any network tv show in the years since uh come close to the quality that was in homicide you know homicide was god the good great question way way ahead of its time um that was a barry levinson show if people want to check it out that shot on location in baltimore 
And uh, I have a funny story about that. I was friends with uh, Fisher Stevens, fantastic actor mm. who pops up in movies and also a producer of films. And I got asked to be in this thing. And so, somehow we both got asked. It was like, well, I'll do it if you do it. It wasn't like a very big part. And we were, so Fisher and I took the train from New York to Baltimore and we got down there and it was a night shoot and they were very delayed. So they said, we're not going to need you for like four hours. So Fisher and I went and got an incredible seafood dinner and had many, many beers. And by the time we shot, we were, uh, we were, uh, we, we, we were pretty, I think we were pretty drunk. <laughs> I love Mr. Stevens. I, he, that little documentary he did on Carrie Fisher I think yeah. Bright Lights was really, really nice. Yeah, Fisher is such a talented uh, person, and that was a lot of, it was a lot of fun to do, to, you know, to have that experience working with him. Um, and um, there was another question. Somebody had written about um, the movie uh, The Candidate. This right. uh, Scott Schaumburg writes, um, Eliana Rama talks about Robert Redford wanting to learn more about Melvin Douglas. In my book, I blame Dennis Hopper. So uh, this is, I guess this is airing uh, tonight on The Candidate. And the story behind that was that uh, I'd auditioned for a part in the movie, The Quiz Show, and I didn't get the part. And then Robert Redford asked me to do this smaller part um, playing Ray Fine's girlfriend. And it, it, it ended up getting cut from the movie. You can sort of see me. Uh, but I had a couple scenes and it was really fun to shoot with Ray Fine's, my God, incredible actor. But um, the day we were gonna shoot, he, in, he asked me to his trailer and he spent like two hours talking to me about the candidate. And people <laughs> were coming to the trailer like, uh, Bob, we really need to go. You know, we really, and I felt horrible like you know because they kept looking in like what is, this girl's got this tiny part like what is she taking redford's time for wow. make, you know and he but he was going he wanted to tell me about how much that my grandmother's uh political campaign and brought, brought him into politics and that's why he wanted my grandfather in the movie and uh it was unbelievable i had him all to myself <laughs> just couldn't believe it. So one-on-one -on -one with Robert Redford chatting. He could not have been nicer, more relaxed. Meanwhile, there's 300 people outside his trailer waiting to do this scene. And he was cool as a cucumber. Um, Remember when sets had 300 people. <laughs> well, yes, I get once again. It was a huge, that's all I'm thinking about now, a huge crowd scene. Right that we were shooting and uh another little inside bit about quiz show so i go to do the scene and you know i'm sitting there with ray fines he had just shot a little movie called schindler's list mm. heard and of I it never heard of it yeah yeah so he, he was telling me about the, that film you know? wow oh, that sounds interesting <laughs> and like two years later <laughs> but uh Anyway, so that's enough background. Any more questions, or should we get to Alan? I think let's get to Alan, Alan Rode, Alan K. Rode, uh, who we have yeah. as a guest today. We'll um, ask more questions next week. And Mick, 
Come on. You got to, did you drink too much coffee today or what? What's going on? Let's get to Alan. Here we go. Here comes Alan K. Road. All right, Alan. Film historian. Oh, pulling out the book. Is it, look at this book. Look at how thick it is, people. Oh, my God. Alan, how are you doing? Uh, if I was having any more fun, I wouldn't know what to do. How are you? <laughs> We're doing Hi, great. Alan. Welcome to uh, welcome to the home edition of the podcast. The home edition, and you're holding my book so so nicely, cradling it there. Thank yes, you. Yes, I know. Uh, now we're going to get to the book, and it, we're going to get to your your book, this yeah. tomb. The uh, it's like a war and peace. We'll get to it yeah. in a second. It doubles as a doorstop when you're not reading. <laughs> <laughs> but um. The, uh, before we talk about that, I want to ask. Yeah. So, what are you watching? I mentioned on the show a couple weekends, a couple weeks ago, that you'd sent me Trapped with Lloyd oh, Bridges. Yes. That was a lot of fun. Now, where you next had promised you were going to send me Too Late for Tears. What's that? Yes, yes. Well, that was the first uh, movie that the Film Noir Foundation that we restored, and we were able to clear the rights and put out on Blu-ray. And uh, that has a feature ad, and it has uh, my commentary on it. And it doesn't get any better with Dan Durier and Elizabeth Scott. I mean, uh, I, I know you're a I know you're a Dan Durier obsessive compulsive uh, obsessed. But uh, yeah, I'll pass that on to you. But what I've been watching, yeah. I've been watching. I've had like a stack of movies that keeps yeah. getting higher and higher because I never had time to do it. And now that I'm stuck at home, I'm like trying to watch like a movie or a show every night not really trying i think we've all kind of become somewhat like howard hughes you know uh i haven't gotten my hair cut uh, i'm a hermit we all haven't seen cleanliness phobias you know our hands are getting raw the only thing is i'm still cutting my fingernails i haven't let them grow out yet but um yeah, I, I've been watching a couple interesting films. Uh, one yeah. was uh, 125 Rue Montmartre. With, uh, it's a French film from 59 by uh, uh, Gilles Granger, starring Lino Ventura. And instead of Ventura playing his usual tough guy or gangster, he mm -hmm. plays this very <clears throat> simple, honest, uh, working-class guy <clears throat> Excuse me, that sells newspapers, and he gets inveigled into this Hitchcockian murder plot and so forth was very good uh another film that i watched is come next spring i i see only the new films 1956 <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. ann sheridan 59 yeah ann sheridan steve cochran and sherry jackson filmed at republic in uh -huh. true color this was republic's version of color uh, that was uh, either a forerunner or a competitor to Technicolor uh, or Codacolor. And yeah. it's beautifully filmed, and it's kind of a Arkansas set in the 1920s, and it's kind of like a, an American version of The Quiet Man, uh, with Steve Cochran coming home where he's had left and abandoned his family, and Sherry Jackson's his little girl who's in a traumatic accident who can't talk and Walter Brennan and Sonny Tufts and, and Edgar Buchanan and all the rest. <clears throat> and the other one I saw was, um, <clears throat> I don't know why I'm losing my voice, Rhubarb, <clears throat> The Millionaire Cat. And this is Ray Milland and Jan Sterling. Yes. And cat inherits I know this the one. baseball team. Yes. Wonderful. I love that movie. And that's the cat uh, <laughs> who he, he appeared in um, 
Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast of Tiffany's is his name is Orangey. Orangey. Not the most original name for an orange cat, but nonetheless. And his, uh, to me, his set piece film, Orangey, was, was The Incredible Shrinking Man, where he eats, uh, you know, the wife and everything as the guy shrinks and goes into the dollhouse. They find the cat attacks him and they think he's been eaten by the cat but he's really fallen down in the cellar with the tarantulas and everything. And uh, I love that. Uh, yeah, but rhubarb, rhubarb is his really his starring role, and uh, it's very funny. Directed by Arthur Lubin, and uh, a lot of people have forgotten about it. Ray Milan and Jan Sterling. Now, are these all movies that you can get on DVD that you can watch? Uh, rhubarb, you can get on DVD. Uh, Come next spring was uh, I have a I have a source for movies that will remain nameless. Okay. Wow. This, this person sends me movies or gives okay. me movies. Uh, when I'm doing a show like at the Egyptian theater, yeah. he will come in and if I'm in conversation with someone, like if you and I were talking, he just comes and shoves DVDs in my, in my jacket pocket and walks on. And then later I get home and I've forgotten about it and I go, what the hell is this? And it's like, some Lon Chaney movie filmed in Jamaica in color and all this, the most obscure, unheard of, a lot of French stuff, German, all this other stuff. So um, my, my palette is wide. Come Next Spring, I think, was downloaded by, by someone in Paramount owns it. And uh, the, uh, the French movie, I'm not sure, it's, it's a PAL format. And okay. um, I'm a two- all region oppo blue player kind of person oh boy. in my house i have like it's insane wow. but that's who i am you know so anyway that's that's what i've been doing and um and i heard you guys talking iliana about no more than 50 people yeah and that's... so no spartacus well, uh, no, but a lot of cgi so you'll have like oh. two people, two people on the set, and then you'll have all these people that aren't people, probably. And uh, and I guess we won't get to see Alan Arkin or Mel Brooks or anybody over the age of seventy work. Um, to be yeah. honest with you, I think a lot of this stuff is panic driven because yes. people are desperate. The industry, everyone's desperate to go back to work, and right. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen a week from now. No. Now right. we just we just have to all hope for the best. Yeah, everyone's going to have their own, um, you know, system, I guess. But it was just yeah. caught my eye because, of course, you know, of course, like every, every time I see a crowd scene now, or I go, well, I, I guess they couldn't shoot. <laughs> I yeah. And you're not the only one that wanted to work with Billy Wilder. I mean, uh, the guy. I have a book. Somebody wrote a biography of him in the 70s, and um, Billy Wilder signed it and gave it to Bob Thomas. And a friend of mine who owns a bookstore sold it to me. And Billy's inscription is, if you like this, you liked Himmler. Best Billy. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah, he was, I mean, I don't know if he would have been the nicest person to work with. Well, I, I, I think he was, I think he was, um, but he recognized talent and yeah. he, uh, he never, apparently, he always liked talking about his successes, like The Apartment and right. Double Indemnity, mm. but he hated talking about like Ace in the Hole, which I think it's is- It's so like, funny, Alan, a lot of these, 
a lot of these old school guys, when you were saying that, reminded me of, you know, when I was hanging out with John Frankenheimer. And, you know, it was before the resurgence of seconds. And all right. I wanted to talk about was seconds. And every time I brought it up, it was a lousy picture, you know. And then it recorded, you know, and I used to think, it's such a great film, but he didn't really want to talk oh, about yeah. it. Oh, well, they, that was, uh, there, there's an interview that I found um, in writing about Curtiz when he produced uh, at Warner Brothers, his first production was a film called The Unsuspected, which mm -hmm. is with Claude Rains, and it's about Claude Rains as a radio host, kind of like Orson Welles. And in fact, Curtiz tried to get Orson Welles for the part. He was unsuccessful. But I think the movie's terrific. It's not perfect, but yeah. I think Cortese wanted to make a kind of a, 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 another Laura. And the film wasn't successful. And he's interviewed about it. And it sounds like he's talking about somebody at a, he's like he's at a funeral for his picture. Well, you know, you only can make, a man can only make movies so long if they're successful and if you have one or two. And he just sounded so sad because he realized, particularly then, as it is now, if you make movies for a studio and they're not successful, you won't be making any more. Right. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how I guess they had to look at it, particularly back in his time. Yeah, really so, as good as your last yeah. movie. Um, so the last time you were on the show, you, we've, we talked about the book, but now you're working on the paperback of the book so any what are some of the additions going to be there's not going to be a lot of additions uh, I, I was gratified that uh, uh, the university press of kentucky really wants to put it out in paperback and um, uh, it's not necessarily uh, going to be enriching for me but i is i'm glad because the price will be a lot lower because it is an expensive book it's a big book mm -hmm. and more people will have access to it uh, what I am doing is I'm writing an aftermath or a uh, afterword, I guess is the right term for it. Um, I, I talked about Curtiz's family and his family, uh, his family tree would take a genealogist and drive him absolutely crazy because he had this huge family in Hungary. And then he had, I think, four or five children out of wedlock with five different women, one of whom he was married to. Uh, his last child is younger than me, and he was born in 1886, so anyone wow. can use themselves doing that kind of math. Wow. But uh, um, what happened to his family in Hungary during the war, uh, and uh, I did not have a whole lot of definitive information about, it, and now I do, and uh, it, it, there's a really heartrending story of what happened to his sister and one of his nieces, both during and after the war that I write about, and also his family and trying to get them over here and the State Department and Harry Warner and all of that. So I, I'm adding that into the addition with some other stuff. So mm -hmm. um, I hope people will like it. And um, I'm gratified that the book has done so well and it's coming out in paperback. Well, he's such a fascinating director because, you know, he really needs to get his due because I, I think that, you know, when, whenever we put the talk about directors in the pantheon of mm -hmm. directing, he never, he would never get put on these lists. But I think that True. these days, 
he is, you know, more and more people are thinking him. But in the old days, like when I was first getting into movies, it was like, oh, studio director, Michael Curtiz, and he didn't get much credit. Correct. I think a lot of that had to do with the popularization of the auteur theory beginning right. in the mid, the beginning of 60s with, um, you know, Cachet de Cinema and Bogdanovich and Schickel and their work, yeah. which was very praiseworthy. But this whole uh, and Andrew Saris, particularly uh, right. with his directors and directions book that a lot of film students used to carry around like the the oh, yes. consecrated Bible and all yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of that uh, worked against him because he was viewed, as you said, as the Swiss army knife of, of contract directors. And yeah. when you look at his films, and particularly when I delved into all the production records, uh, he certainly did have his own style. But for many of many years, he had to do pretty much what he was assigned to do at, at Warner Brothers by Jack Warner. So. Uh, yeah, well, it's a, you know, obviously I read it. It's a terrific book. It's got all sorts of insights. And, and I think we even discussed this before. The popularity of uh, Casablanca, I think it's almost overtaken Citizen Kane. I feel like they're neck and neck in a way, uh, you know. I, I'd agree with that. I uh, One of the things I wrote in the prologue to the book was nobody, nobody really knows who Curtiz is, but we celebrate each Yuletide with White Christmas. We celebrate the Fourth of July with Yankee Doodle Dandy, and we fall in love every time we see Casablanca. So, wow. yeah, that That's was that was kind of my premise to what, a, what good writing, Alan. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I think you know you know the names Frank Capra, William Wyler, Billy Wilder, yeah. and then but a film that's talked about more than any of theirs is well, like Casablanca, mm-hmm. but we never talk about the director yeah. right right well and of course timing is everything he died in 1962 and that was right when this mm-hmm. kind of what i call a renaissance of appreciation for golden age directors was beginning right. so he wasn't there like ral walsh wearing his cowboy hat in front of a group of rapt film students talking about right. stealing john barrymore's body and putting it in errol flynn's house which probably never happened anyway yeah. and uh, Hitchcock and Richard Schickel, directors and direction and all of that. So he wasn't around to toot his own horn for that uh, following, you know, the generation of appreciation. So that has something to do with it as well. Um, okay, so now I would like to see, so when's the, when will the paperback be out, by the way? Do you have 2021 any- is all I know at this point. Okay. That's all I know. Um, the, uh, some, of the, some of the other projects, because again, we're friends, so we talk all yeah. the time. Uh, I, you're, I know you're working on the mystery of the wax museum. I have, it is done. We, um, Warner brothers announced it yesterday. And of course I couldn't say anything for a long time because brothers project and rightfully so, but mystery of the wax museum was the forerunner to the movie house of wax, which was a 3d film that Andre de Toast directed. Yes. Price in 1953. Well, Mystery of the Wax Museum was directed by Michael Curtiz in 1933, starring Lionel Atwill, Faye Ray, Glenda Farrell, and and a host of Frank McHugh and the usual suspects from the Warner Stock Company. And it was the last film uh, made in what was called two strip or two tone color by Mm -hmm. Technicolor. And uh, it, it, it has a kind of checkered history. For years, it was lost. 
and then they found a print back in I believe the 70s or eight, probably the 70s in Jack Warner's personal collection at the studio. So it was rediscovered, but it was never remastered, cleaned up, certainly not digitized. So you were always kind of listening and looking to it. And it had that kind of crispy critters soundtrack. And right. so uh, thanks to the um, George Lucas, the Lucas estate and UCLA film and television archive, Scott McQueen, the restorationist who works on all the film noir foundation restorations, it's been beautifully restored. And uh, I mentioned to Warner Brothers, Warner Archive Collection, hey, if you're going to put it out on Blu-ray, you know, I want in, it's Curtiz. <laughs> and as it turned out, uh, I got together with Constantine Nasser, who's done, who's been doing Blu-rays and restorations of horror films and commentaries for, for decades. And I got Scott in. And then I reached out for Victoria Riskin, Faye Rays and Robert Riskin's daughter, who recently published a wonderful book about her parents. And I was able, we were able to film a discussion with her. So the disc that's coming out on May 21st, I believe, has a commentary by Scott McQueen, mm -hmm. commentary by me, and a featurette with Vicki Riskin. And Scott's commentary is really unique because when he was a teenager, he interviewed audio interview of Fay Ray and Glenda Farrell. So he went back, got those, and we were able to drop part of that into his commentary. So how many pre-code 1934 earlier films have unheard audio interviews with the stars? <laughs> the answer is none. So I'm, right. I'm very excited about this, I think. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. I've never yeah. saw this movie. And obviously I, I saw House of Wax. That's the one I've seen. So this will be- right. Right. Well, that one, that one, Curtiz, they were thinking of having him direct it, but they had Andre de Toth direct it. And the joke around Hollywood is only Jack Warner would pick a director with one eye to direct Warner Brothers' first 3D film. <laughs> I think I remember that joke. Yeah. Except yeah. The only thing, that movie is so incredible, except that there's one scene, I'm talking about House of Wax now, sure. it's ruined because all the, you know, when the guy comes out and he's playing yeah. with Well, that. yeah, they, but 3D was a gimmick. 3D was a gimmick. It's like the, they even did a Three Stooges short called Spooks right. in 3D during that 53, 52 phase. And you'd have like Mo looking at the camera, throwing a knife at, at the camera and throwing yeah. stuff at the camera and whatnot. Um, the other project you're working on is Sorry, Wrong Number, which I just, you know, you go through phases where you say, oh, I've seen that movie so many times, I really don't want to see it. And then enough time goes by, and I happen to see that it was on Criterion. And I said, I'm going to watch, that was like one of my early uh, quarantine films. Man, that is such a quarantine. Yeah. Sorry, wrong number. It was I was on the edge of my seat. I loved it. Yeah, I think it's a terrific movie. And Stanwyck got her, I think, her third or fourth uh, best actress nomination for that. Uh, she didn't win. She probably should have. And it has a young Burt Lancaster and a Hal Wallace production. And uh, it, you know, all of Hal Wallace's films after he left Warner Brothers. Uh, and set up his independent production company at Paramount had this certain really classy look, well-made, well-directed, well-shot, everything. He, he was a great producer. 
And I think the film is great. And uh, there's a company called Via Vision in Australia that's putting out this uh, digitally restored version of Sorry Wrong Number. And not only is it features my commentary track and an introduction by Eddie Muller that he recorded years ago for this film. And I guess it languished somewhere in a filing cabinet somewhere. And this company has retrieved it. And uh, so we'll both be on the disc and that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, great. That'll be, uh, yeah, that'll be fun. Cause that's such a great, uh, I love, I love listening to commentaries. I hope they don't stop them because it's always one of my favorite things is uh, you sent me a movie recently, City of Industry. Oh God, right? yes, yes. I watched the movie cause I mentioned yeah. Harvey Keitel and then yeah. you sent me the movie, which I said, man, it's a flashback to the 90s. I remember like oh, it is. It is. these kind of movies. But I watched the movie and then I put on the commentary. Sorry, it was a little, it just it didn't uh, have any insight to the yeah. film. Yeah, I didn't know anything about the commentary. I just thought you'd like the movie because <clears throat> I, um, I really like Harvey Keitel in that movie. Yeah. And he's his, very character, good. his character is typified where he's like, just raising Kane, trying to get revenge on the, the guy that double-crossed him after they robbed this jewelry store in Palm Springs, right, right on Palm Canyon Boulevard, which was cool. And then this girl saying, why don't you call the police? He goes, I'm my own police. Yeah, he's <laughs> my kind of guy. <laughs> he's, he's the whole movie. If you want to watch him, uh, Timothy Hutton is in it. It's right. a lot. I had mentioned to you, I said, geez, I wish that Stephen uh, Dorff had played uh, Harvey Keitel's brother and that Timothy Hutton had played the lunatic because yeah. I liked what he was doing. Uh, I liked what Timothy Hutton was doing, but man, it's of its time, the 90s. Oh, it's very, it's very 90s. And you get Elliot Gould as a, as a crime master. Whoops. Yeah. As a crime master uh, in downtown LA working in Chinatown. So. Right. How wild up. is that? He shows so. up very briefly. Um, the last thing I was going to get to just before we uh, run out of time is, again, I always like to tell people, kind of let them in on, um, you know, working a process. And mm -hmm. uh, with the quarantine, I'm writing, I've gone back to writing my my movie book. And one of, right. them, you know, one of my favorite things is I'll, you know, because there's no one else to talk to or <laughs> no one else was interested. I call you up. I go, Al, and I, hey. I jump totally getting into Richard Quine. So yeah. we're all members of the same classic movie tribe. You know, we have to hang together. I got to talk to somebody about Dan Duryea. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> what are your thoughts about Richard Quine? Because again, I find him to be. I love Strangers. Um, is it Strangers when we meet? Strangers, Comfort of Strangers, the movie. Uh. Uh, Michael I, I think he had. I, I really liked Bell Book and Candle. I love Bell Book. I love. I love that, and I got to see um, Kim Novak introduce that. Uh, that when this was some years ago, when they put out a box set, I think uh, Sony Sony Columbia, obviously that was her yeah. studio, uh, put it out, and they had her. She was at the Egyptian Theater, and she talked about Richard Quine, uh, thought highly of him. Uh, she thought much more highly of Jimmy Stewart. She loved Jimmy Stewart, uh, uh -huh. you know, with Vertigo and everything. But, but 
uh, Quine was a very, very good director and apparently came to a tragic end. I think he ended up taking his own life. I don't know whether he was ill or something, but yeah, uh, I thought he was very good and I like his work. And I know you're, you've been working or writing about uh, Connecticut-based films and that was one of them, correct? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I've been uh, taking a deep dive into Richard Quine. I've, his whole yeah. career in early television and then mm -hmm. working for Harry Cohen and you know that, that's what's so much fun about these the the writing is you start writing about one thing and then you cover all this other territory and then you have to figure out what you want to carve out take out in order to make it a coherent uh little nugget of information oh yeah well it's almost like a sculptor you're starting with this big square of rock or clay and you have to start shaping it and you go back and that's why it takes me i mean it took me shucks five or six years to finish Curtis. yeah and each chapter was like a mini book with a bridge to the next chapter and and uh as you and i discussed <clears throat> you have to weave in in addition to all the films you have to weave in all of the stuff about someone's life and so forth so it's not and then he made this movie and then he made right. this movie and since he directed 180 movies, it was really hard. It was hard sometimes to do that. Uh, but yeah, it, it does get, you have to decide what, the, what's, what has value, what doesn't. And uh, sometimes it's like being King Solomon. You have to cut your baby and, and, and trim it down so. because you know it's too long. Yeah, there's good because there's like a fun little nugget, but then it doesn't really end up fitting in. And then that's why we all yeah. walk around with these crazy trivia facts. Exactly. <laughs> I, I remember I wrote a I wrote a, a about 10 years ago, I wrote a long article for Noir City magazine on uh, Phil Jordan, who's probably the greatest confidence man who ever lived in Hollywood. He had everyone fronting for him. And I don't know if he ever wrote anything, but he got nominated, won an Oscar for best original story for a picture he had really nothing to do with. Guy was an incredible uh, operator. And um, I had this story about 55 Days of Peking, and I had a story about Paul Lucas and Ava Gardner, and I put it in. And then uh, I was made aware, you know, that's a really funny story, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have anything to do with Phil Yordan, so it's going out. <laughs> yeah. That's sometimes that's what you have to do. Anyway, but, uh, one thing I did want to bring up real quick is yep. the Arthur Lyons Film Noir Fest. Put your, put your bells on. And, and I'll have my mask and my gloves. I'll be. I'll yeah. be Hopefully we will be beyond the respirator stage by that time. But <laughs> it is scheduled for later in the year. Okay, and I did great. want to mention that. All righty. Well, Alan, thanks so much for uh, being on the show. Ileana, it's always a delight to be with you. It's I'll be probably you. calling you in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. And thank you, sir, so much. Alan, I appreciate thank you. it. I really, really appreciate it, too. And I, I really look forward to reading the book just because, again, it's it's the director who I just feel like we don't get the spotlight on as much as we ought to with a film as big as Casablanca. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you, you so much, Alan. All righty. Well, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the questions. Ryan, uh, we never heard from Jeff, so... We never heard from Jeff, so he is uh, dead to us, and no, uh, we, we love Jeff. <laughs> we'll, we'll see him next week. Um, but yeah, no, we wish everyone well. Please keep washing your hands. <laughs> keep washing your hands, and, uh, and just be safe out there, guys.
you see about there and as we always say everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning a middle and an end and uh make your own movie make it a good one stay strong be creative and uh add a little bit of love to the equation out there if you can okay Comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.